Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. That time in the show, we talk about issues that are relevant to all of us, whether it's tickets or the NBA All-Star Game or a whole host of other things that are going on as well. Amy Tenery, a digital editor for, for Reuters.com and certainly sports fan, knowledgeable sports person. How are you this wonderful day? Hey, Rick. I'm awesome. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good because I wanted to buy my season tickets to every team in every sport. And I got kind of mixed results. And ticketing always happens after the Super Bowl, so we ought to spend some time on that. I guess we may want to start with a bad team that came to reality. The 1-15 in Browns will reduce season ticket costs by 40%, all told. Kind of cool. 32nd or 31st in the NFL for season ticket prices this year, lowering them. Next year, eighth time in nine years, the team won't raise ticket prices. The Bears increasing, although decreasing some sections. Some would say that market demands you increase when you play well and decrease when you don't. Others would say if you increase when you don't play well, it puts more pressure on the team, and that's a good thing. What do you say? Well, sure. I mean, look, right now, if you're a, a Browns fan, you're, you're going through a rough time. And that 40% discount, if you are someone who is in, you know, so inclined to get season tickets, if you're a glutton for punishment, sure, that's, that's a really, really nice little discount for, uh, for fans. And, you know, they have two first-round picks in the draft this year. Um, they've got the first overall, and maybe they can make something happen uh, with a quarterback in free agency. Obviously, Tyrod Taylor is a name that's getting thrown around a lot. Um, but all that aside, you know, there are some franchises where fans are just going to show up regardless, and the Cleveland Browns are not that franchise. You think about the Steelers, you think about the Cowboys, and yeah, sure, maybe even you know the Bears, they have this kind of diehard fan base. And I think this was a, a must-do for, for the Cleveland Browns franchise. And like you said, it was, what is it now, like eight out of nine seasons in a row that they're, they're lowering prices. And when you look at that pattern, it's, it's just a no-brainer. It had to happen. Well, the Tenery proposal that we will circulate after this podcast is that we should actually have the Browns paying the fans that show up to watch that product as opposed to the other way around. I never said that. You're going to get me thrown out of Cleveland the next time I show up there. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I got to tell you, thrown out of Cleveland is the first prize. I'm not sure about the oh. second. But look, we've both been through there. And I know you have wow. some, some some roots there. We so, are going full yeah, nuclear right, well, on Cleveland. Jesus. <laughs> let, let's let's change let's change the subject really quickly to something that was very disappointing for the final twenty four minutes of Super Bowl fifty one, but has been pretty good after it. The Falcons, as we know, opening that new billion six stadium, Mercedes Benz Stadium, right downtown, and they seem to have had a bonanza in PSL and ticket sales by virtue of their trip to the Super Bowl. Oh huh? boy, and they, you know, they needed it. They took, uh, they, they, as most people know, they are opening up uh, their new stadium next year. Goodbye, Georgia Dome. And um, they took a lot of taxpayer money for the construction of this. They needed people to be enthusiastic about this stadium. And boy, are they. I mean, over three quarters of personal seat licenses already snapped up. 
Um, and it's a huge win for the franchise. These fans are essentially buying these PSLs at the height of the market. Enthusiasm for the Falcons could only be higher in one other circumstances, and that is if they, you know, walked away from the Super Bowl with a trophy. Um, but no, I mean, look, it was a crushing loss in the, the championship game, but I think this is absolutely one of the ideal circumstances if you're the Falcons' ownership moving into new stadium that you'd be looking for. The uh, NFL and others use the lure of special events to justify the public money, but also to justify why the value of these PSLs, etc. And we know the next three Super Bowls are in Minnesota, Miami, Atlanta, and then L.A., respectively. And watching Atlanta as a Super Bowl town with the $500 million or so of economic impact will be pretty good for Falcon fans, especially with the performance of the team on the field, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And I think if you are somebody who is who's maybe a little bit, you know, upset about the process of, you know, how the new stadium got built. I know, you know, it wasn't always the smoothest in the, in the public eye. I think, you know, having that economic impact of that Super Bowl certainly goes a long way. So I think that's I think that's fantastic. Well, let's go to the West Coast for a couple of ticket issues too. Warriors best team in basketball. Ticket prices reflect that, some say up to 15 to 25 percent. By the way, courtside seats now cost you 715 bucks. A lot of money for a regular season game. You know, I'm surprised it's not higher if I'm if I'm being totally honest. I mean, look, they're they're leading the Western Conference and they've got, you know, the biggest stars in the league who aren't named LeBron. Yeah. And by the way, the bottom line also is that they now have the chance to leverage their new opening of the Chase Center, which is the Uh, arena that'll be on San Francisco Bay that'll be open in three years and they can say get on the waiting list for that and if you buy your seats now you have preferred seats in the new arena which is always a neat trick for an NBA franchise. Oh definitely I yeah I think it's uh this is the exact kind of momentum that you're looking for if you are the Warriors franchise this is this is great for them. And then finally on the the uh, west coast uh, NFL search the Rams finally did the right thing and they told their season ticket holders we are not increasing season ticket prices until uh, 2019, maybe earlier, but certainly then, that when the $2.6 billion monstrosity opens, the prices will go through the roof, but at least we understand that prices then are tailored maybe not to performance on the field, but certainly a new wonder of the world. Well, is that how long it's going to take for Jared Goff to get to get in playing shape? Because uh, <laughs> that, that timeline sounds uh, sounds about right. Um, you know, they've, they, they had a, an unfortunate debut in their new hometown. So I, again, I think this is, you know, it's just a little bit of goodwill, I think, for the, the new fan base, the new city. Uh, and I think it's the right move for the franchise. I think with Jared Goff, the Rams are trying through the competition committee to change the rules where they play flag football so he doesn't get sacked 400 <laughs> times a year, which may help him, certainly won't help the Rams. Oh, we, you know, oh he, something. 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 <laughs> and, and we're going to go through Anything. this, uh, Amy, a lot uh, as we go through uh, issues. I think the bottom line of all this is supply and demand, and, and teams need to not take advantage of fans, but also we understand the tickets are one of the major revenue sources, and if you don't do it uh, correctly, you may be penny wise, but pound foolish down the road if you get a whole boatload of money this year, but nobody cares about you down the down the road. You know, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. You have to you have to play the long game. The long game, and you got to get there in different ways. We get there by car. We get there by football. Now we get there by drone. Now we've talked about this before. We've had Matt Higgins, who is Steve Ross's co-founder of RSV and now a major investor. 
But of all of our topics we want to talk about this week, Amy was especially turned on by the Drone Racing League and the sponsorship with Allianz, a $10 million deal over two years. What do you think? I am so excited about this. Um, I am embarrassed to say that, you know, up until this week when we were talking about uh, different topics, I had not actually seen drone racing. And I googled it and spent about an hour and a half just watching these little whizzing robots flying through the air. I'm really, I'm, I'm really big on this. I think it's, I think it has a lot of potential. I think this sort of $10 million bet by Allianz uh, speaks to that. You know, esports is becoming a, a bigger and bigger business. And uh, this to me feels like it could be the logical next step for people who are enthusiastic about that, uh, you know, that particular market. Well, all in for a niche sport that requires at least two things. One is corporate partnership uh, slash money uh, and television. And, of course, this has Sky Sports and ESPN behind it, so we wish it nothing but success. And speaking of television, we're off to New Orleans for the All-Star Game. I had booked my flight to Charlotte, but I guess the bathroom bill uh, waylaid that. And now you know the NBA All-Star Weekend and its $80 million of economic impact is going to New Orleans this week. Interesting change of venue, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think, uh, you know, the NFL recently kind of issued a warning uh, saying that it might not, you know, be able to host another uh, Super Bowl in Texas if a similar bill goes through uh, in in Texas. Um, This bathroom bill has been, uh, I think, a real blight on the state um, for its economic impact. A lot of, you know, NCAA, I know, is reluctant to host events there. Now we have uh, another potential revenue maker that is is moving its uh its its business to uh, to another state. So I think it's having a, a big impact on them. And uh, you know I, I don't know where the pain point is for them. I don't know when it's it's going to start changing people's minds. Um, I don't know. What what's your feeling? Well, my feeling is that this is a pain point. Now, when you look at the ACC tournament basketball, which is usually in Greensboro, but it's in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn this year, and on and on and on. They're past their pain point, and I think what happens is when there is a game of chicken um, and the leagues and the uh, sports industry flexes their muscles, the politicians see this just like as a convention, everything else, it's economic impact. And, you know, one of the things we know is that New Orleans certainly can put on a good basketball party. So they had it two years ago there, and they're having it again, and I'm sure it'll be successful. Big time NBA weekend, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I happen to love New Orleans. As long as we're spending the podcast weighing in on American cities, uh, New Orleans is great. They've obviously hosted Super Bowls in the past and a great job. So I, I have no doubt that it's going to be a, a great time. I'm, I'm actually pretty jealous of you right now. The NBA is only going to party in New Orleans. The owners are going to gloat and figure out how to gobble up some other revenue with what? With jersey patches. The Sixers did a pioneering deal with StubHub, the first one of many. GE lent their blue chip expertise to being the sponsor for Jersey Patch of the Boston Celtics. Blue Diamond, kind of weird, but the Sacramento Kings. And then a deal with Infor, a software company, and the Brooklyn Nets. It may be up to $8 million annually. So we may not like the patch idea, but we certainly like the dollars if we're NBA owners, don't we? 
I think so. And I think I know there's been a lot of controversy about this, but is the, the patches, they're not a new thing in sports. You look at professional soccer, um, you look at the WNBA, you know, this is uh, something that's been going on in the WNBA since 2011. Uh, Ten out of the 12 teams started with these sponsorship patches. And uh, it's 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 made an undeniable impact on on the league. Now, it's the same sport, different set of circumstances. They've obviously struggled in their two decade plus existence as a league to get fans and seats. But uh, I, I think that it's a good model for what the NBA could do uh, going forward, even more broadly. Well, and you have some reporting. I know that there were some issues heading into the All-Star Week about the NBA Development League. What do you have for us? Associated Press actually reported that the NBA Development League is now going to be the NBA Gatorade League. Uh, and it's a, a deal that's going to go across the board and in, in how it's marketed, logo, jerseys. I think the NBA D-League wasn't maybe the best name. I hear D-League. I kind of think D-list. So maybe uh, they can pull this off. But it's uh, I think it's, again, it's just showing uh, the NBA is perhaps in more broadly embracing this kind of corporate labeling on, on, on their programs, on their on, on games, jerseys, signage, you name it. You know, we talk about awareness, and jerseys do it for some people. And for others, it's, it's the leadership and using sports as an opportunity to do great things. Grand Canyon University when it started as a small religious institution, had a 1,000 people on campus. Now it's 16,000 online, 12,000 to 55,000 now. Brian Mueller, who is the uh, guy who runs it, drives it, the top executive at Grand Canyon, he came over in 2008 from University of Phoenix. The Apollo Group did the deal for the naming rights for the Cardinal Stadium, but he also transformed a financially troubled, that's what they would say, university at Grand Canyon to a $2 billion institution, a driving force in higher education, the hybrid hybrid education model online, on campus, but using sports as a catalyst. Jerry Colangelo, the kind of hero of the effort, and Dan Marley, the coach of the basketball team, the Antelopes, by the way, an amazing experience across between Cameron Indoor Stadium and and, uh, the Pit in New Mexico and other places. This is a good example of higher education at its finest online and on campus, coupled with using sports as a catalyst to generate awareness and change. The guy who was the architect of all of this, Brian Mueller. We've talked about sports business, trillion dollar sports business. We're here at a sports conference. It's Sports Day in the Sun at Grand Canyon University, the Colangelo School of Business, co-sponsored by Guggenheim Life, Dan Towers, and the person really who has made all of this possible, uh, Brian Mueller, Grand Canyon University. Thank you, Brian, for having us here. Appreciate oh, that. Fantastic. Anytime you want to come back. Thank you for being here. Okay, I'm coming back. I guarantee you coming back. So talk a little bit about where this school has been and your role in, in, in basically putting this together from you know, your old University of Phoenix days to today. Well, the, you know, this was a, a great place for decades. 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. It was a small, private Christian university founded by Southern Baptists, usually about 1,200 kids on campus, 95 acres. A great place but always uh, in, uh, from a financial standpoint in somewhat jeopardy. In 2008, it was nearly bankrupt. Uh, there were 900 students on campus. There was a lot of debt, about ready to close down. We came in with a plan to go to the public markets to get access to capital. We did that in 2008. We got a public offering out. We got $254 million. We put $100 million into technology. 
We built the world's largest platform to deliver education online to working adult students. That was successful. That became profitable. And in the last six years, we've put $900 million into this campus. Uh, we've grown from 900 students to 17,500 students, uh, from 90 acres to 300 acres. We're gonna go from 300 acres to 400 acres and to about 25,000 students in the next four to five years. So this has been a, the combination of an education story, uh, certainly a free enterprise story, and in some instances, even a, an athletic story. So you got your training in, at Concordia and University of Phoenix for a number of years. The vision is the most amazing thing because it's really a, a hybrid between all of these students, which are, how many students on campus now? Almost 18,000. 18,000 on campus, and how many online? 65,000. So that's not the University of Phoenix model, which is pure online, and that's not the model of just having everybody bricks and mortar. What was the vision that caused you to create this uh, hybrid model? Higher education is, is in trouble. Uh, it's way too expensive, it takes too long, uh, it doesn't address the needs of the economy in a direct enough way. And so we wanted to come up with a new financial model. It was not taxpayer dependent, it was not donor dependent, and it was not expensive from a tuition standpoint. We were going to use public dollars to get access to capital to build it out. Then the hybrid campus would allow us to leverage an infrastructure uh, that included both 65,000 students online as well as 18,000 students on the ground, which would create leverage, create economies, and make it very inexpensive. We haven't raised tuition uh, in eight years. And so as we're growing, we're able to do it in a profitable way without raising tuition and keep building out. Uh, we've put $900 million into this in the last six years and we'll put another $400 million in the next four years. So you started this dream in 08. It's been nine years. The numbers are incredible. How important has sports broadly defined been to this mission? Broadly defined is right. We put things in three categories. Uh, everything we do academically is the most important thing. Everything that we do from a spiritual perspective, and then in the middle, everything we do from a performance perspective. And so for performance for us means music, theater, dance, debate, as well as athletics. Um, and uh, the, we started out as a Division II school. We won two Director's Cups uh, at the Division II level, and then we transitioned to Division I. We've got 21 Division I athletic programs, and our goal is to be in the top 25 in every one of those programs. We're building out facilities, we're hiring great coaches, and we're building uh, a community uh, from an athletic perspective that's infectious. It's amazing how our athletes support each other, but it's also amazing how our students get behind our athletes and our athletic programs. And so attendance and the building of community is an interesting story here. Attendance, but also awareness, which is really important as well. Having Jerry Colangelo be one of the shining lights from the sports perspective, we'll talk about the School of Business in a minute, and then getting Dan Marley and basically committing to be a top 25 program, that's not easy. Congratulations, doesn't happen overnight either. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not easy, but I'm telling you what, there is no more powerful combination that you could think of in Arizona than to have Mr. Colangelo right. as part of our program, who's, who's one of the most powerful men in sports in the world, and but unbelievably well thought of in Arizona. I mean, he's an icon here with what he's done with professional sports, real estate, downtown. I mean, he's probably the most well-known, influential person in Arizona. There's only six or seven icons in the history of Arizona from a sports perspective. Uh, Randy Johnson, Kevin Johnson, Kurt Warner, Charles Barkley, Dan Marley. Yeah. But for us to have Dan Marley as our head coach, not just because he's unbelievably well thought of here in Phoenix, 
his work ethic, his commitment, his team commitment, his commitment to the community, but then what people don't know is how good a basketball coach he is. He's really good. He is really good. And, and, and he is absolutely uh, capable of taking us into the top 25 in the country. Well, you got your own cult following in the building, and it's an incredible, you snuck up on a lot of teams. Uh, when are you eligible for the tournament? What's the long-term goal? What have you told Dan Marley? What have you told Jerry Colangelo? Well, uh, I just, I don't tell him anything. I just beg him to stay. But the, the fact that last year in our third year of transition, Dan's team was 27 and seven. This year in our fourth year of transition, we haven't been able to recruit yet by, uh, by telling kids we're eligible for the tournament. Um, we've already beat San Diego State at home. Okay. Played Louisville to a nine point game. Yep. Played Arizona to a nine point game on the road. I mean, it's just amazing what he has done in four years. Now that we're eligible for the tournament next year, the recruiting's gonna pick up and so, Future's very bright. And what's it like to have Jerry Colangelo on the phone with people in Africa and all over the world saying, yeah, I'm gonna bring this kid in. It's just, it's, it's, his contacts are amazing. His contacts are unbelievable, but the most amazing thing is when the kids come in and they drive him over to his office and he shows them his rings and he shows them his trophies and USA basketball and all the people that, well, when he, when he, when he rolls his, through his phone and it's, you know, uh, Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Mike Krzyzewski. Good. The look on kids' face is unbelievable. Uh, that's how much influence he has and that's how much power he has, but for him to be associated with Grand Canyons. It's almost hard to ask this question because uh, numbers are probably astronomical, but what are the metrics and the vision for Grand Canyon 10 years from now? You know, we'll, we'll have, I think, about 30,000 students on this campus. It'll be a 400-acre campus. We'll have probably more than nine colleges. Today we have nine colleges, over 220 programs. We want to be a major force from the standpoint of uh, science, technology, engineering, math. Uh, we want 60% of our students to be from Arizona. We want to be graduating five or 6,000 students on an annual basis, 70% of them being in those very difficult STEM areas so that we can become a major economic engine for the state of Arizona. We want to create a workforce here that's going to encourage companies to move here, and especially companies to move here on the west side of Phoenix so that we can help rebuild and transform this part of town. Is that the template for higher education 20, 10, 20 years from now, is that being an important component of the community, not just in sports, but corporate education, research, science, health, everywhere? Everywhere, uh, I, whether it's universities or whether it's companies, I don't think you're going to make it in the future unless you're willing to get completely integrated into the communities that you, that you live in and you serve, uh, which is a big attraction point for us, for students that want to come here. It's become an amazing thing that students choose the university because they want to be in the middle of a project that eradicates poverty. They want to understand what that means by being in the middle of it and doing it. Uh, and that it can be done, not through government, but it has to be done through local partnerships and through really powerful business communities. And, and um, that's what they're experiencing here and that's what they're gonna take with them when they leave here and go out into the world. And, and so finally, sports is, 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 is not the be all and end all, but it is an important component that helps you take your dream to the next level. It is, I mean, it, 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 uh, it's certainly an educational experience for the athletes that participate. It helps build tremendous community on the campus, but it also is a sign of us wanting to build excellence into everything that we do. And so, yeah, we want to be really good in athletics, but we also want to be good in music and theater and dance and debate in all those areas. You wearing enough purple? <laughs> all purple all the time. <laughs> Brian Mueller, thank you very much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrell. The producer of the show, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Bethel Hopte. Assistance provided by Tanner Simpkins and Carlos Waddick. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso. 